Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to J.L. Caston about her novels. After today, you will have heard about starting to write in middle school, plotting your story with your family, even if you stray from the outline, researching and querying, fighting for what you want in your story, building a community for authors and all the resources they need, making sure your story stays unique to your own ideas, and being sensitive to other people when you're writing your story. An Amulet of Stars and Fire an ancient order, a hidden enemy, a dormant magic awakens. An annual family trip to Scotland becomes a catalyst that shatters everything Loralee thought she knew and sets her life plan ablaze. Magic ran through her veins, and she was born to lead. Not that anyone bothered to tell her that. The power within her should be enough to deter any threat, if only she knew how to use it. Her family hid the truth in hopes of keeping her and her brother safe, knowing some would do anything to control them. Instead, they may have made them sitting targets. How much longer can they be kept a secret? And can they learn to wield the power they were born with before the truth is revealed? So now, I do have to ask, as an audiobook narrator, are there plans in the works for the books to be made into audio? Ah, so, yes. Um, it is a goal. It is something that I want to do. Um, I have had talks with uh, production companies and several narrators um, just about how that works and what happens and um, what costs look like and all of these things. Um, it's definitely something that I aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it's not something that financially I can do. Right. So, yes. In the future. In someday. the future. <laughs> In the future, definitely, absolutely, it is something that I absolutely want to do. And there's a portion of royalties that go to a specific pot of money where that is the only goal for that money. Um because it's very, very important for me to have the books in that format, just mm-hmm. purely for accessibility reasons. Like right. I don't, I, it kills me. It rips out a piece of my heart when people say to me, I would love to read your book, but I, my brain can't focus in and sit down and read words on a page. It has mm-hmm. to be an format that kills me. I hate it. It breaks my heart. I want to be, you know, totally accessible to everyone. So that is absolutely one of my top goals right now. All right. Now, I do have, I typically just ask 
Do you have any advice for authors starting out or ones that need a revamp? But for you, I want to ask that along with if you were starting back with a publisher coming at you, are there things you would have done different or researched before jumping in with that? Oh, yes. Um, So one of the best resources for independent authors is something called the Alliance of Independent Authors, um, A-L-L-I for short. Um, I am a member. I have been a member for over a year now. Um, and they will look into contracts. They will look into potential companies. Um, they will make sure that everything is as it should be. And if it's not, if they find something that, um, raises a red flag or something that you need to be aware of, they will let you know. before signing anything as an indie author, you should be using that service 100% of the time without fail. Um, Because a lot of the reasons that my publisher, for instance, um, ended up closing their doors was some issues that was found by Allie. So if they hadn't done that research, and they hadn't said, look, these are potential problems and pointed those problems out, it could have been much worse later, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. things could have really blown up later. It could have really harmed anyone involved um, more so than it already had impacted us. So yes, absolutely. 100% Ali is necessary. You need to be a part of it as an author it's $120 a month. It, for me, it is an absolutely essential expense. Um, and there are some perks too. You know, they, uh, Ingram Spark has, uh, you can publish five books a month for free with Ingram Spark by using the Alliance of Independent Authors. That's um, a lot, dude. If you're writing five books yeah, a month. <laughs> yeah. And considering that if you publish an ebook, and uh, paperback with Ingram Spark, that cost is fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. You have paid off your dues for the alliance within that first month if you max out your allotted number of books. Yeah, because it's, already... it's fifty dollars per format, right? Through Ingram, right? Yeah. So you're you're already paying off more than you've spent on your dues for that organization the first month if you publish five books. So 100% believe that they are a necessary resource for any indie author, especially if you are looking at working with other people. So if you are, so for them, um, now that would be obviously if you're planning on self-publishing alone and you're just going to go, the Amazon's going to do all your stuff for you route. That's a little bit of a different story because you have to agree to Amazon or you can't publish with Amazon. Right. Right. If you, if you are only publishing with yourself and you're not working with anyone, I mean, they don't look just at publishers. Let's say that I am commissioning covers um, and I'm working with an artist because I want illustrated covers. That contract, I can take that to Ali and I can say, hey, can you look at this? Um, do you see anything that I should go back to the artist and say, hey, what do you think? we can change or is this non-negotiable like Mm -hmm. they'll do that too it's not 
solely, oh, well, you're working with a publisher or you're working with a big entity. It can be between an author and a editor or an author and an artist. And all um, that's included in your fee or do you have to pay extra? Nope, that is included. Um, they will look at contracts. It's included in the price. Um, and then there are different tiers to membership. So I am and uh, oh, I'm going to misquote it because I don't have it in front of me. Um, but I think I'm I'm mid-tier. So there's starting out, which is very, very cheap, almost no dues. Um, but they don't offer a ton of stuff. It's just like right. how that's typical. Yeah. Right. And then you've got my level, which is mid-tier, where they offer most of their services. And then they have an authorpreneur, which is more expensive a year, but you you have to be accepted into that tier. So you have to sell okay. a certain number of copies a year you have to have reached certain milestones and they do check um they do that <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah um so you know that tier has a lot more um requirements right and and requirements so like they have um an agent for the alliance that is available to authorpreneurs that I don't necessarily have access to. I could request access, but I can be denied. Right. Whereas an authorpreneur, they can utilize that agent as their agent. They can help negotiate contracts and things. Whereas for me, they'll look at my contracts and tell me what I need to fix or what they feel is not necessarily, you know, beneficial to me, but right. I have to negotiate that myself. So and that's do you so for the low tier and the mid tier do you have are there any requirements for that or you can just sign up? You can just sign up. Um, okay. They don't vet you or like do any research on um, members until the authorpreneur tier where you're being sort of in a way represented. So you would have had did did they look over your contract beforehand or did you join after no. the fact? No, I um I didn't send it to them um i had a previous friendship with a lot of the people involved um i didn't feel like i needed to and that it's not well, necessarily the advice here would be even if it's a friend yes when it comes to legal things have a yeah. legal professional look yes. at it <laughs> And, and it's not that anything that they did was malicious because I truly do not believe for one second that anything that they did was intended to be malicious in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, they truly, truly were trying to be helpful and provide a resource for indie authors to help them be successful. 100%. I believe that. Um, and the videos that I saw from them, it looked like they just got in over their head yes, is they, like their videos that's what ready. it seemed like yeah they weren't ready for all that being a publisher entailed um I don't feel like they just they didn't know what they didn't know right like they, well, that's they every job they right right <laughs> they thought they were ready and I still to this day believe that everything that every mistake that was made could have been fixed um it could have been changed and um they could have stayed in business and kept operating 
but I feel like it got to a place publicly where they were being attacked and there was so much coming from outside that painted them with a brush of being malicious. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that comes back to the bad review thing we were talking about. Right. Some people... Well, and I, I know we've seen on TikTok recently of people attacking people that they don't like the I don't remember what the name of the book is, but people leaving bad reviews on books that they didn't actually read just for the sake of being hateful human beings. Right. Um, that's and, and that's the hard part, too, is that. And this is where the dangers of social media come in, right, is right. <laughs> the people who were painting them with a malicious brush had good intentions they just went about it wrong like yeah they felt like they were doing a service that they were warning authors from you know hitching their horse to something that could harm them they thought they were doing good everyone thought that they were doing good everyone had good intentions um but the course of action to get the desired result was lacking all around, in my opinion, um, it just wasn't handled well on all sides. But unfortunately, I mean, just talking business wise, the st- statistics on like how many businesses make it past the first year is not great. Right. So, right. like, and when you're doing I, I would it think like, nope. If, if I randomly help. decided I'm going to open a publishing house, I'm going to as someone who actually runs a company, um, I would be hiring people that have done it before and know the business and know, right? like, because I don't know anything about publishing. Um, <laughs> and as someone who's trying to write my own books eventually someday when I can get ahead on narration reading, um, I'm like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And the only way to know that is to hire someone who's done it before. So, yeah. or Or at very least, like, and there's people in all industries that, you know, you pay them for an hour, two, three of their time just to walk through questions and answer questions. Like there is no industry that I know of that doesn't have someone willing to do that, to sit down right. and talk to you and help you kind of figure out what you're going to need or not need. Um, and that's I mean, that's the same with. Um, like narration has coaches that we can talk to and they'll typically do like a free consultation at first to kind of figure out where you need to go or whatever. Um, But I mean, authors have the same thing. There's all the Facebook groups with all the authors that are way more experienced with their tips and tricks and whatever. Um, So I feel like that maybe could have benefited them, but I mean, everything's at at this point, it's all irrelevant (laughs) because they're closed. So right. Like, it's done now, so. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you, as far as advice for someone who's starting out on their writing journey or someone that maybe just needs tips on how to continue their writing journey, what are some tips that you have on the writing side of things? Like how to, I guess, keep your story going or anything along those lines? Yeah. Um, find a support system. You need to be at least for me, um, because everyone's different. Maybe some people it's better if they don't have people, but I think for the majority of us, you need at least, at least one, at least one other author who you trust, who can read your work and critique your work 
and help make you better. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to be constantly learning because it changes like everything else. Um, You need to be reading, you know, I didn't read anything while I was writing Amulet. And I think that that was kind of a mistake because I feel like I could have done Amulet better. Um, I don't believe in going back and rewriting incessantly until you have a perfect product, because let's be honest, you're never going to have a perfect product. Right. Um, But, you know, I think that it's important to, as an author, also be a reader. You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're making a product and you want people to enjoy that product. You need to know what they enjoy. Mm -hmm. What Um, books, and and that's, I think, specific to like what genre you're writing in too, because like we already talked about, you're not going to write a mystery book, so it wouldn't make sense to be reading mystery (laughs) books. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like I, um, I do have a line, like I don't read Arthurian fantasy. Mm -hmm. of any kind will not do it um it's too similar and I don't ever want my brain to latch on to an idea that is someone else's idea right so I do not read Arthurian anything I don't watch Arthurian anything um none of it I am very very strict about that but that's just because I want my story to be as original as it can be Um, and I want the ideas to, you know, be my own, but I read a lot of fantasy. I read a lot of romance. I read a lot of sci-fi because I've got aspects of that in there. Um, and it's very helpful. You get to learn what tropes are popular and where the genre is going. Mm -hmm. Um, which is really helpful because when, when you get finished with a book, and you loved it and you just want, you never wanted this book to end. I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is go to Amazon and try to find something that is exactly the same. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if, if I'm wanting people to avidly search for my stuff, then it needs to be in line with the other things that they love. Right. And it needs to be, I mean, ideally, because there's the whole like recommended or whatever, when you search for a book in your genre, in theory, yours should also pull up along with other ones in that genre, too. Exactly. Or, you know, the, hey, other people have bought (laughs) section on Amazon. (laughs) Yes. Because I'm like, when I'm reading, I I go through like spurts where like I'll get on a kick where I want to read like all like suspense stuff and then I'll get on a kick where I want to read all fantasy or all YA or like you know yeah just like (laughs) so I'll buy like a bunch of books that are all very not the same the same but like all in the same genre at a time and until I get tired of reading that genre I now have you know backlists of all these books that I didn't I I got tired of the genre before I finished all the books (laughs) yeah Because it happens, right? Like I, I got fantasied out for a while, um, especially, especially when I'm in edits. Like when I'm in edits, I am not reading fantasy. No, absolutely not. It's too much. And my brain gets like overwhelmed and I want to cry. Like, no. So I read something totally different when I'm in edits. Like right now I'm in edits for An Air of Time and Shadow, which is book two. Um, so I'm reading a lot of contemporary fantasy. 
um, a lot of like Talia Hibbert and Helen Wong and um, oh, off the top of my head, I don't even know, but um, a lot of like very progressive feminist contemporary romance type stuff with Mm -hmm. a lot of diverse representation and um, like LGBTQ representation, especially by stories um but like it's just totally different from what i'm writing mm-hmm. yeah that, that makes sense and yeah i think because i've talked to a couple other authors about it, it's important to read in your genre but also to get out of your head and that makes total sense about not reading or watching or anything arthurian um yeah. i'm like trying to do like essentially mythology retelling stuff but um, I'm reading like the original stuff because in my mind, not like, you know, spinoffs and rewritings and stuff. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you can't rewrite something unless you've you read know the original. Yeah. So right. I'm like, so I'm having to read through the Iliad and the Odyssey and, you know, the other ones like that because I'm like, I don't I've never read through those before. <laughs> so, <laughs> But that is now. In the reading through those, I have been reading other books like I was reading through A Court of Thorns and Roses and I'm like, hey, some of these seem like they're kind of like pulled from <laughs> Greek mythology. And then I go look at, you know, what genres it's in. And sure enough, it's in mythology genre, too. Yep. And I'm like, oh, yep. so I'm not crazy, but I didn't. And it's very, very loosely like they just pull a couple characters, but um, I didn't even realize that it was in there (laughs) yeah I remember I haven't read any of the Akatar books in ages now it's been years but I remember when I first first started reading them I was like wow this sounds like Greek like you said like Greek mythology like this sounds Mm -hmm. like you know a little bit like the um oh with Hercules and, um, or not Hercules, dang, I'm mixing up mythology now. Um, the, the golden Ram, uh, story where, you know, he has to go and kill the golden Ram and then he gets all all these transformative powers from it. Like that is very similar to how Farrah's story starts, right? Like she Mm -hmm. goes and she kills the animal and all of these crazy things happen because she did that. Um, so yeah, I, I, picked up the same things but it's been many 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 years since <laughs> I read those books so like I remember the beginning and like bits and pieces but oh I know they're very popular though and people love them yeah um, well and that's why I, I'm typically a like if everyone's talking about it eventually I'm gonna read it just to see like what the hype is all about <laughs> same with like tv shows and other stuff you know eventually I'm gonna get around to watching it to see what the hype is about listen Except for Game of Thrones. I am boycotting all of it. I'm not. People are like, what? But it's so good. And I'm like, yeah, so was Game of Thrones until the last season. So. (laughs) Yeah, see, I started watching Game of Thrones like season seven had just ended. So by the time I finished season seven, season eight was already almost done airing. So. Yeah. I did. I basically watched it all the way through, but I also I haven't. I can't get through the books in that one. I tried and I'm like yeah, two and a half books in and I'm like, nope. <laughs> I, yeah, the books are um, heavy. They, yeah. they are heavy. They are it's not. It's like my brain just can't take the character jumping 
as much as it character jumps, like it confuses me it so much. And he's not very clear. You know, it's not like where you have these multiple POV books where like at the top of the chapter, it tells you who you're following. Right. Um, Martin doesn't do that. <laughs> um, he like you can jump characters in the same chapter uh, which is definitely difficult for a reader to follow, mm-hmm. even though the story, like the bones of the story are good, obviously. Um, you know, we all loved it, but yeah, it's a little hard to follow when you're reading the books. Yeah, that's, there are some things that I don't recommend and I've narrated a couple books that were like that. Thank God they were told from third person perspective. So I could have a separate oh. narrator's voice. Cause I'm like, dude, if I had had right. to head jump voices, Oh, I gosh. would have lost it because like, yeah. no, but then I did another like three weeks ago. I did another third person POV that it was told from two. Uh, it was mainly two characters point of views, but there was like another two that very small sections and it made sense that it was told from their point of view. Um, so in that particular one, and there were page breaks every time yeah. it changed perspective, there was a page break. So, you knew this is now either it's a time jump like we've jumped forward a day or it's now in a different person's perspective. So like that in that particular book three weeks ago, it was really easy for me to change up the narrator voice because it was clear where it needed to change. Right. <laughs> the one helpful. from three months ago was not that way. <laughs> yeah. You'd don't... be with the bad guy and then suddenly you're with the main <laughs> character and then you're with the like head vampire. or <laughs> like It just kept jumping. <laughs> that's hard like that's hard to understand and I you know I get it I I have not finished the Game of Thrones books either um for the same reasons they're just very it's very difficult read um it's almost you know it's like people who mm, screw it I'm just gonna say it um people who get very academic about Dune you know oh well you haven't read Dune so you're not a serious reader um (laughs) no that doesn't make you not a serious reader because I had never even heard of Dune until the movie came out and then my husband's (laughs) brother wanted to go see the movie with him and I'm like I've never even heard of this series before yeah yeah like I mean Dune's not it's not an easy read you know it's it's very um loquacious there are a lot of things that probably could have been written a little simpler um Mm -hmm. but you know I think that these books were written in a time when authors felt very much like they needed to to be taken seriously you know I'm right look at two right well and I also have a daily fiction podcast where I read like classic novels. So like right now I'm going through Anne of Green Gables. But prior to that, it was um, Emma and Jane Eyre and like all these books. And they are so like if you compare how books are written now to like the wording, the phrasing, the like conversational abilities of the characters, how they were are written now versus books from back then. Um, we write way different now. <laughs> it oh, is way different. 100%. And it's so funny to me, too, because you'll get, even now, you'll get the occasional author who's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to write that because that's trash and my work will be taken seriously. I'm going to be the next Shakespeare. And it makes me laugh so hard <laughs> because Shakespeare in his day 
was the equivalent of Sarah J. Mass. Like it was trash. It was trashy, yeah. smutty, uh, convoluted, drama filled. Like Shakespeare <laughs> was not uh, was not known for his seriousness. Like it makes me laugh so hard when people are like, "Well, I want to be taken seriously, like Shakespeare," and I'm like, "That's not that." Doesn't well, he's taken seriously like, now, <laughs> right? You're like, you know, now we see him as this, you know, amazing linguist who could weave a story so beautifully and was just so talented and serious and thoughtful and he wasn't any of those things no it's just so funny to me because he was very <laughs> like oh I'm going to tell the story about you know the girl who marries the prince but his brother hates him and wants to overthrow him so he tells him a lie that she's sleeping around with his best friend and like it's so so <laughs> drama smutty and, just, like, funny and wonderful you know that's that's what people like to read but yeah because written in you know a, a way that we don't speak anymore in a way that language isn't per, you know used anymore people just automatically assume that it's just so much more serious than it really truly is i mean midsummer night's dream come on isn't it the state of though like (laughs) so i obviously have like a normal american generic voice and i will have like i've had a couple authors that are british and they're like oh my god i love your voice like it's so like they think that we with our big, you know, movie budgets and whatever, like American accents are just like the thing. And it's like professional if it's an American accent. And then we're the opposite because we're like, oh, right. it's so much like more higher whatever if it's done right. in a British accent. <laughs> right. Like, this is serious. This is highbrow stuff because they're speaking like the queen. And, you know, that's awesome. And just we have right. to really sit attention well it's so funny too i had um i have an american author that was asking she's about to do some promotional thing um sometime next year and she was like hey do you know if the audiobook's going to be available on the uk version of amazon and i'm like or audible and i'm like i don't know the answer to that so i'm like okay we're gonna we're gonna google you know audible uk and get on there and I realized that there are one, um, apparently all the reviews on the UK version are exclusive to the UK version. Like they don't show up on the US version. They're their own <laughs> entities, apparently. And um, two, I only have good reviews on that side. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, we're just going to hang out on the UK version from now on. Right? Let's just chill over here. We're good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so funny how... Um, you know, that works how like, oh, the you know old fashioned language is fancy. But I mean, the reality is language evolves over time. So what we use right. and write now in 20 to 30 years or more, um, people are going to think we're fancy and we're not. <laughs> but... right. Like, I mean, you just think about great literature and all of these classic stories that are just, you know, oh, well, this is just such a serious topic and it's so well written and they were such artists and these are masterpieces of literature. And you really look at them and you look at the actual bones of the story mm-hmm. and not much has changed. When I, I think mean, it's Jane Austen, of course, she was a female writing in a time when females right. didn't write. Um, but I think it was it was one of the female ones. I don't remember if it was Jane Austen or Charlotte Bronte, but one of them self-funded their book getting published because no one would pick it up. So they're like, fine, I'll just do it myself. 
back in a time when, you know, it was unheard of to be self-published right. at that time. <laughs> so it's, you know, crazy how, and nowadays there's, I think it's still very heavily male authors yeah, nowadays, um, but it is obviously way more accepted for a female author to be an author. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's almost like it kind of branched. So, you know, women in sci-fi are rare. Mm -hmm. um traditionally published speaking um that's a that's a rarity you know you you, can't do that you're a woman and that's not yeah the sci-fi is for male writers and um you know but if you're a female and you're writing romance then they're like oh well of course you're writing romance you're a woman um in fantasy is kind of that mixed bag it's starting to more women are starting to break into that um but I think it's still, you know, male dominated kind of. And then if you get into other genres like thriller or horror and stuff like that, that is very, very male dominated. And then, right. you know, you get into discussion of, of diversity beyond just gender and you really start to see disparity um, in, in traditional publishing, especially. And I love, love, love that there are these agents and these publishing houses who are starting to just strictly go after diverse voices. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I was querying in particular, I would, you know, I was going through everybody, anyone that looked like they accepted something in my genre and I would go through it. And some of the ones I found were like only accepting own voice stories, only accepting POC authors, only accept. And I think that is such a necessary thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they're doing it. And even in my own reading, like for every one book that I pick up by a white author, I'll pick up four or five by a woman of color. Um, See, and I'm like one of those, like, I don't even, and I don't, I hope this doesn't make me ignorant. I never pay attention to who the author is at all. I'm like, I'm going to read the blurb. And sometimes I don't even read the blurb. I'm like, I like the cover. I'm going to buy it. Um, But like, I never pay attention. I don't care. And like, I could meet some super famous author in person and have no idea because I don't look up the author ever. I'm like, I see a book that looks interesting to me. I'm going to read it. I think it's pretty, (laughs) I think that's a common thing. Um, And I, you know, I, I don't actually know what your ethnicity is. I'm going to... Pasty. Okay. (laughs) That's what I figured, but I didn't want to jump because I've made that mistake before and it's awful and I felt awful. Um, But I think it's even, you know, especially for people who are white, um, we don't have to think about those things. You know, those just aren't things that we really pick up on unless we train ourselves to pick up on them, right? So like, if... I pick up a book by a white author that has um, something that is problematic for, for example, the Hispanic community, the conversation on TikTok right now. Um, Had I picked up a book, one of the books that they're talking about um, at the moment, I may not have, my brain may not have picked up on that specific line of text i may not have realized right like i 
glanced over it because I'm not, it's not something that I have to think about. It's not something that where I, you know, my experience that I have ever had to think about. So I think it's a lot easier for us to be like, oh, well, I just like the story and I pick it up and I read it. Whereas someone who is a woman of color, for example, might feel like they have to do a little bit more research before they pick up a book because, well, is this author problematic? Am I going to get halfway through this book and really, really love it? And I do, I do avoid authors that I've seen people talk about. They are problematic or whatever, but, um, yeah, as far as like, I'm just saying, like, I just don't typically like I'm not Googling everybody's picture before I buy a yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's just because we've we've, ne- you know, we don't necessarily it's not something that we have ever had to think about doing, whereas other communities do because they, you know, they have the experience of going through a book and loving a book and then getting halfway through it and coming across something that is really harmful to them. Now, and then- I did almost and then didn't buy because um there was so um we just went to Barnes and Noble this last weekend because it was my birthday um and so I'm like I'm gonna go buy books on my birthday because that's what I want to do (laughs) yeah and so we go and I almost picked up this series and I was like oh it's so cool it was co-written by two Chinese men and I'm like oh this is super cool it was a sci-fi series and then I look and it was like translated by a white guy and I'm like eh (laughs) like it would be cooler if like they were able to translate it themselves or knew or whatever but I'm like I'm not going to sit in Barnes and Noble trying to figure out like (laughs) was the translation accurate or not because like right in my reading the fairy tales on so like at the end of every podcast episode I'll cut the interview in half and I'll read you know your favorite fairy tale as a kid with the first half and then as a grown upper person um for the second (laughs) (laughs) words anyways (laughs) as a more grown-up person with the second half um but i found that with a lot of the you know fairy tales and short stories and stuff they were written in other languages and finding accurate translations is really hard um like beauty and the beast i found one translation and it was like this short super 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 like pared down version of the story um because that one was originally written in french and so it was this like really pared down version of the story that i had to read on the podcast because the most accurate translation is like nine hours long <laughs> so right. i'm right. like i'm like hey so i did that one on patreon in 15 minute sections um <laughs> But I was like, you know, sometimes for the podcast, like, I can't have a nine-hour podcast episode. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so That's very, very long. Let's make this a series. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, we're, we're going to do it on Patreon if you want to hear the, like, more accurate story. And I was very clear, like, I do a little blurb about the story and, like, where it came from and all of this. And so I'm like, you know, we're going to do the shorter version here. But if you want to hear, because in, in that particular story... um. In the nice version, it's will you marry me, will you marry me, will you marry me over and over again. In the not nice version, it's will you sleep with me, will you sleep with me. (laughs) (laughs) And in French, it was probably a little more vulgar than sleep with, but... Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, and I found a collection of basically Beauty and the Beast fairy tales that it was like, here's the, you know, more classically accepted version, and then here's the more accurately transcribed version of it um but yeah i mean some of the fairy tales like some of them were originally german or um i'm trying to think 
I don't know that I've done any Russian ones yet, but just like different different ones. And it's just difficult to find, you know, you want to make sure that it's an accurate or I right. want to make sure that it's an accurate right. translation. Yeah. And, th- and that's a problem because, I mean, again, you go back to these conversations that are that are being had on social media about some of these books and the issues behind some of them. And that's a big one right now is that, you know, an author that the Hispanic community has loved and stood behind and rooted for had a book that was translated into Spanish. And on the cover of the book is, I'm not even sure what it means because I haven't dug into it too too much. Um, But it's uh, like a slur or a, a reference to femicide. Um, And it's like, I mean, it's causing a lot, a lot of waves. Like, mm-hmm. why would the publisher do this? And um, I mean, uh, exclusive Palm Beach Living, Jessie, uh, mm-hmm. has some videos about it uh, where she talks about it and she shows the cover and she's like, why would you? And Ruthie narrates. She's also talked about it. Um, and I mean, they absolutely have more to say on this topic than I ever could. Um, but yeah, like you got to be careful with translations because sometimes, sometimes they're not uh, translated correctly, correctly. (laughs) Uh, And sometimes it can cause some really major problems. Yeah. I had an author that I narrated for that. He talked about um, his publisher um, on his main, uh, his main, oh my God, main character is a Hispanic female. And so he you know, was very clear with his publisher, like, I want a Hispanic female on the cover. And they put a white female on the cover. And he's like, all right, for book two and book three, he designed the cover himself because he's like, I am not OK with that. Right. <laughs> and then he right. said for, for narrator, he said, I wanted a um, Hispanic female narrator. He said they got half of it right because I'm a female, <laughs> but I'm not Hispanic. I'm like the um, her name was Mira. And so I'm like, the only thing I have going for me is I can roll my R's. <laughs> like, <laughs> But I was I was the second narrator because her name is. Uh, now nah, I'm not going to remember her name. Mirabella Cervantes Ramirez is her full name. And like one of his the first narrator didn't say Cervantes. It was like Cervantes or something like ridiculous. Oh, no. And he was like, that, no. <laughs> I'm like, thing. I'm like, sir, I live in Texas. Like that is a common name around here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, those things, you know, they're important. And people, I, I think that people are... um being more vocal about how important those things are, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing. You know, it's now a good saying thing, like, saying he wanted a Hispanic narrator, like the only Spanish in the book is like her name. And then her dad calls her um, Mija. Yeah, like that, that's the only Spanish in the whole series. So like, right. Which I get. I get because I know I talked to. Um, oh, my gosh. My brain is just like not working with names. Um. A.K. Mulford, and she talked about how important it was for her to have um, a POC narrate the audiobook, and that's what she ended up getting. Yes. Um, because, like, you know, that's that's what she asked for, and that's what she had a part in that process or whatever. Unfortunately, um, the particular author that I narrated for did not get the choice. His publisher picked me. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's sometimes we 
unfortunately have to do the best that we can. But I don't think there's any, if you are, if I was going to write a book that had any representation of anything in it, I'm going to hire a sensitivity reader to make sure that I don't do something wrong. Um, And most people either do that and ignore what the sensitivity reader says or don't do that at all and just I'm going to do it myself and not care. Right. And, you know, uh, that rarely, rarely works out well. Um, no, I it does not. <laughs> has, but, um, you know, there's there's a lot, a lot of conversation going on um, on social media right now. And I love that the conversations are happening. I haven't made a public statement and I won't. I don't feel like my voice is needed. I feel like they can handle this and I'll just sit back and listen and be like, go you. And um, repost and. Right. And repost and like, and, you know, engage and boost the video and the content. But right. um, I mean, you know, a year ago, maybe I made, I think one video where I was like, listen, if you are a white writer and you're writing diverse casts absolutely and like I believe uh, for me personally I write diverse characters I feel like it's necessary the world is not white and books shouldn't be either um but there's a very easy way to um keep yourself from crossing a line that shouldn't be crossed and that is very simply am i telling someone else's trauma am i telling the story of someone else's trauma and if you are don't it's pretty i mean it's not that hard when you think about it at least it doesn't seem that way to me i don't understand authors who are like well i'm just gonna write this and you know, you just can't please everybody. And I'm like, well, that seems like trying to not be accountable for your own crap, but okay. To be honest, I am probably the worst descriptor. Like, I don't write descriptive. Like, I I describe things, yes, but like right. in, in my head, I like don't have in my head a like clear picture of my characters. <laughs> so like, I'm not describing like, and most books will have this where they describe the color of their skin and their hair and their right. eyes. And like, that is not in any of my so books. That, that is how I wrote Amulet first. When I first wrote Amulet, um, there was no descriptor of skin tone at all for any character. You had hair color, you had eye color. That was it. That was all you got. And I did it that way very deliberately. I wanted to ensure that, um, you know, people could read these characters the way they saw them in their head. Um, But in my head, almost all of the entire cast of characters were POC. Um, And I was cool with that. And I was like, okay, yay, good job, me. I patted myself on the back. I did awesome. And then SJ Stewart, who is my creative partner, read it. And she was like, oh my God, I love it. This is great. Yada, yada, yada. And she was like, these, she started talking about who she pictured in her head when she was reading. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, that's not right. And she was like, oh, they're not all white. And I was like, no, (laughs) she was like, oh, well, I just assumed they were all white. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a problem. Right. And, you know, but it's just not something that previously I had really put much thought into. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Traditionally 
Books are whitewashed. Everyone's white. I'm a white author. People are going to assume that I'm writing white characters. So I had to go back and go, okay, we need to make this a little more clear because I don't want, I don't ever want someone to pick up my book and be like, oh, it's just another white author pretending like white people are the only people in the world that exist. Right. I never, ever, 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 ever do I want to erase other people. So I was like, nope, we're going to go back and we're going to make sure that people understand that these are not all white characters. So I went back and I did that. But like, you well, know, mine hasn't even been a like conscious decision to like leave all of that out. That's just not like, and, and I haven't made it through first draft of anything yet. Right. So like, and I that's think something that can be that added later very, on, but that's a very, like, that's a personal preference for me. That's like my personal feelings on the subject. That's how I want to right. portray characters and how I want to write and how I want to be seen as a writer. I think that it's okay to make your characters ambiguous. I've heard so many people. Um, well, and mine will be very much like the the series that I'm planning is very much going to be mythology based. So the characters yeah. will be from right. the region of that mythology. <laughs> so <Right>. like <laughs> I, I've heard so many book talkers, especially readers, talk about, you know, I don't care how you write your book because I'm always picturing every main character in this way. Like Lo, a well-read nursing student on TikTok, she has made so many videos where she's like, I don't give a shit if your main character has blonde hair and blue eyes and ivory skin. In my head, she's got a lace front and blue contacts and she is a black woman. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like, okay. That's like, like the, the audiobook listener that likes, they don't want you to do the voices and the drama. They just want you to read the book. To read the book? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, then go have Alexa read it because. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had someone ask me if I could do that and I'm like, no. Right. No. Like, I'm I, a... There are narrators that can <laughs> and I am not one. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I have, you know, the most boring voice in the world, apparently. So, <laughs> according to to recent reviews, that I shall now ignore. <laughs> I think they're wrong. I think they're a little bit crazy. But well, do you have any final parting words? Because I need to get out of my hot closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know how you guys do it in that heat. Um, final words. Um, I mean. I just think that it's important to build a community, have people around you that you can work with and trust and collaborate with and who can listen to you when you've had the worst day and you feel like you never want to write another word for the rest of your life, um, who can, you know, commiserate with you and then kind of give you a swift kick in the ass and be like, okay, enough now. Like, give me more to read. Um, <laughs> you've moped long enough. <laughs> right. Like, you've moped long enough. Let's figure this out. Like, I feel bad for you, but we don't quit around here. So let's figure out what our next steps are. Right. Um, those people are invaluable. And I have people like that who I, they are worth their weight and gold. I would never trade them for anything on this planet. They are amazing. And I love them with my whole heart. And they have gotten me through some really, really tough spots. Those people are important. Everyone should have those people. Um, and then, you know, write what you know, tell your story, 
and make sure that when you tell your story, you're not hurting other people in the telling of it. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very, very good summary of everything that we've (laughs) talked about. (laughs) (laughs) I do tend to ramble on. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And I will see you around TikTok and Discord. And Discord. Discord. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. As Jael got older, she became obsessed with all things Egyptian mythology. Egyptian mythology is the collection of myths from ancient Egypt, which describe the actions of the Egyptian gods as a means of understanding the world around them. The beliefs that these myths express are an important part of ancient Egyptian religion. Myths appear frequently in Egyptian writings and art, particularly in short stories and in religious materials, such as hymns, ritual texts, funerary texts, and temple decoration. These sources rarely contain a complete account of a myth, and often describe only brief fragments. Inspired by the cycles of nature, the Egyptians saw time in the present as a series of recurring patterns, whereas the earliest periods of time were linear— Myths are set in these earliest times, and myth sets the pattern for the cycles of the present. Present events repeat the events of myth, and in doing so, renew Mat, the fundamental order of the universe. Amongst the most important episodes from the mythic past are the creation myths, in which the gods from the universe out of primordial chaos, the stories of the reign of the sun god Ra upon the earth, and the Osiris myth, concerning the struggles of the gods Osiris, Isis, and Horus against the disruptive god Set. Events from the present that might be regarded as myths include Ra's daily journey through the world, and its otherworldly counterpart, the Duat. Recurring themes in these mythic episodes include the conflict between the upholders of Mat and the forces of disorder, the importance of the pharaoh in maintaining Mat, and the continual death and regeneration of the gods. The details of these sacred events differ greatly from one text to another, and often seem contradictory. Egyptian myths are primarily metaphorical, translating the essence and behavior of deities into terms that humans can understand. Each variant of a myth represents a different symbolic perspective, enriching the Egyptians' understanding of the gods and the world. Mythology profoundly influenced Egyptian culture. It inspired or influenced many religious rituals and provided the ideological basis for kingship. Scenes and symbols from myth appeared in arts and tombs, temples, and amulets. In literature, myths or elements of them were used in stories that range from humor to allegory, demonstrating that the Egyptians adapted mythology to serve a wide variety of purposes. Today we'll be reading the story of Osiris. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the Round Table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Osiris When Osiris was born, a voice from out of the heavens proclaimed, Now hath come the Lord of all things. The wise man Pamelies had knowledge of the tidings in a holy place at Thebes, and he uttered a cry of gladness and told the people that a good and wise king had appeared among men. When Ra grew old and descended unto heaven, Osiris sat in his throne and ruled over the land of Egypt. Men were but savages when he first came amongst them. They hunted wild animals. 
They wandered in broken tribes hither and thither, up and down the valley and among the mountains, and the tribes contended fiercely in battle. Evil were their ways, and their desires were sinful. Osiris ushered in a new age. He made good and binding laws. He uttered just decrees, and he judged with wisdom between men. He caused peace to prevail at length over all the land of Egypt. Isa was the queen consort of Osiris, and she was a woman of exceeding great wisdom. Perceiving the need of mankind, she gathered the ears of barley and wheat which she found growing wild, and these she gave unto the king. Then Osiris taught men to break up the land which had been under flood to sow the seed, and in due season to reap the harvest. He instructed them also how to grind corn and knead flour and meal, so that they might have food in plenty. By the wise ruler was the vine trained upon poles, and he cultivated fruit trees and caused the fruit to be gathered. A father was he unto his people, and he taught them to worship the gods, to erect temples and to live holy lives. The hand of man was no longer lifted against his brother. There was prosperity in the land of Egypt in the days of Osiris the Good. When the king perceived the excellent works which he had accomplished in Egypt— he went forth to traverse the whole world with the purpose to teach wisdom unto all men, and prevail upon them to abandon their evil ways. Not by battle conquest did he achieve his triumphs, but by reason of gentle and persuasive speech, and by music and song, peace followed in his footsteps, and men learned wisdom from his lips. Isa reigned over the land of Egypt until his return. She was stronger than Set, who regarded with jealous eyes the good works of his brother, for his heart was full of evil, and he loved warfare better than peace. He desired to stir up rebellion in the kingdom. The queen frustrated his wicked designs. He sought in vain to prevail in battle against her. So he plotted to overcome Osiris by guile. His followers were seventy, and two men who were subjects of the dusky queen of Ethiopia. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week to hear Kimberly's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.